So Abby just told me that at 123 today, it will be 123, 123, 123. So at 123, let's all pay attention to that, you know. And I heard on the news that there was like a rash of people who were getting uh, their marriage licenses for today to do weddings today so that their wedding date would be 123123. So that's, it's interesting when you think about that kind of stuff. And, you know, for me, I've just now gotten used to writing 2023 on my checks. I don't know about the rest of you. So I don't know how long it will take you to get used to writing 2024, but it probably for me it will be about this time next year that I'll finally get that down straight, only in time for it to change again. So maybe, maybe one of our New Year's traditions needs to be just to practice writing 2024 several times tomorrow. Just, you know, just write 2024, get it in your, in your head because it's here. Uh, you know, there are lots of traditions people do at New Year's. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, maybe. Do we have anybody stand up till midnight tonight? <laughs> I heard a lot of nope. You know, some people do that, right? And they get together, family and friends, stay up till midnight, you know, kiss when the ball drops, that sort of thing. Or maybe watch a movie, play some games tonight. And then tomorrow, New Year's Day, how many of y'all are eating uh, black-eyed peas and collard greens? Not me. No. We, at my house, we do the, the Mexican tradition of tamales. So I, I much prefer tamales to black-eyed peas. But that's just me. That's just the Tennessee boy in me coming out, I guess. And I'm married a Texas girl, so we eat tamales. Um, maybe tomorrow, like me, you're going to be watching some football. Anybody watching a particular football game out in Pasadena tomorrow? You know, yeah, yeah. I know some people are real excited about that. I know some other people that are really, really hoping for a different outcome. But, uh, but yeah, that's going to be happening tomorrow as well. And so in thinking about that, I was thinking about the Rose Bowl, the Rose Parade, the history of that. And it started back in 1890. And the original organizers of what was called the Tournament of Roses and the Rose Parade, they wanted to do something to promote Pasadena. And one of the organizers explained it this way. He said, in New York, people are buried in snow. Here, our flowers are blooming and our oranges are about to bear. Let's hold a festival to tell the world about our paradise. And that's how that got started. And I thought that is an interesting juxtaposition when you think about New Year's Eve in Times Square in New York City. It's dark. It's cold. People are bundled up. You can see their breath. And then the next day, you're watching a rose parade in California and everybody's in short-sleeved shirts. It's such a stark difference. And it made me think about the children of Israel. Because I'm a preacher. That's what I do, right? Everything makes me think about stuff like that. And I'm thinking about the difference that they experienced going from 400 years of slavery in Egypt and 40 years wandering in the wilderness of Sinai. And then they find themselves on the bank of the Jordan River looking over into a different land, into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of abundance, a land that was lush and that was fertile. What a difference that was for them. How stark a contrast. In the book of Deuteronomy, and if you want to turn with me to Deuteronomy 11, that's where we're going to be today, the book of Deuteronomy records a series of sermons, Moses' final sermons to the children of Israel as they are standing on the brink of a new land, as they are looking to cross over the Jordan River and to conquer and settle in and take possession of the promised land. And shortly after his last sermon, Moses is going to go up onto Mount Nebo where he will die where God Himself will bury him, and Moses will leave behind some enormous shoes for poor old Joshua to have to try to fill. And the children of Israel are nervous about it. 
They're uncertain about it. How can they cross over into this promised land without Moses? Is Joshua up for the task? Now, this isn't the first time that the children of Israel have had trepidation and fear about the future. It's not the first time they've had some doubts and questions and reservations about what God was doing. In fact, from the moment they left Egypt, they doubted the Lord. They questioned God. And time and again, Moses would have to remind them, as he does in Deuteronomy 6, where he says, We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord provided great and terrible signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. He brought us out of there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. Moses reminded them, God brought us out of the past to bring us into his future. And so we can trust him. And so again here in Deuteronomy 11, Moses is challenging Israel to trust the Lord. He's reminding them that while their landscape may change, while the nations around them may change, while their circumstances may change, their God stays the same. He's the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. They'll face new challenges. They'll face new obstacles. But it will always be the same God who was faithful to them yesterday will be with them tomorrow. And the same is true for us. As we stand here looking across a Jordan River, not into a new land, but into a new year. As we think about what 2024 will hold for us, things will change. But God will remain the same. We're going to cross into the unknown. Really, we do that every moment of every day, don't we? We cross into the unknown. But guess what? God is already there, ahead of us, preparing the way. So let's listen to Moses' message to help us know how we can prepare to cross over into a new year with confidence and courage. And before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for this time together this morning, this time of worship, Lord, and we just pray that you would take your word and speak to us through your word by your Holy Spirit. Illuminate it to our hearts and minds and help us, Father, to apply what it says to our lives today and tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see that Moses tells the children of Israel to do, and what we should do as we go into a new year, the first thing is we should trust in the Lord's provision. Trust in God's provision. Let's look at verse 8. Moses says, Keep every command I am giving you today, so that you may have the strength to cross into and possess the land you are to inherit, and so that you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land you are entering to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated by hand as in a vegetable garden. But the land you are entering to possess is a land of mountains and valleys, watered by rain from the sky. So in verse 11, he tells us, literally the Hebrew says, that the land drinks water from the rain of heaven. In other words, God is the source of our life, our prosperity, our success. He is more than capable and willing to meet our needs. And when we rely on God's provision, it's like our life can drink up the rain of His gifts. He wants to bestow them upon us. Think back to years past, maybe this past year. Maybe there were some moments this past year where for you all hope seemed lost. Maybe you had some of the darkest days of your life in 2023. 
or in years before this. Yet God came through. At the right moment, in the way of His choosing, God came through. And you're here. You're here today because of God's provision. Maybe you've had times that you felt like things were dried up. Times of famine and drought in your life, only to see at the right moment, when maybe when you least expected it, God provided rain. And He blessed you. As we cross into this new year, don't forget that God is the source of your hope. He is the one who will supply you the daily rain that you need. It's why Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We daily rely upon God's provision. We trust our Good Shepherd to provide our needs, not necessarily our wants, though He does in His grace give us some of that as well, but He provides for our needs. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to His rich glories, His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In Christ, God provides for us all our need. Moses told the people that the land they were going to go into was a land of abundant rain, that God would provide the rain, but he also said it was a land of mountains and of valleys, didn't he? In other words, life is full of ups and downs, times that are easy and times that are hard. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever promise us an easy road. Nowhere does he ever tell us that when you come to Christ, life is all mountaintop experiences, that it's all just a high, that it's all just wonderful. The Bible never teaches that. We will walk through valleys. Some of them, dark valleys. Some of them, the valley of the shadow of death. Some of them are valleys where people want to fear what is evil. But we're told not to fear evil in those valleys because our Lord, our Good Shepherd, is with us. His rod and His staff, they comfort us even in those dark valleys. On the other hand, sometimes we face mountains that seem insurmountable. And we look at these mountains and we think, how can I climb that mountain, Lord? How can I get over this? One of the first impressions I had when I went to Israel the first time was it is a land of mountains and valleys, just like Moses says. It really is. You've got some deep valleys there. You've got some steep hillsides. You've got some mountains with sheer cliffs hundreds of feet tall. Cliffs that are full of caves and large, loose rocks that tumble down it. You've got the dry and desolate Judea wilderness, but then you also have the lush and fertile Jordan Valley. It's a land of great contrast. A land of hills and of valleys. And the same is true for our lives. We have our ups and our downs. We have times that we're going up a hill. Sometimes it's a pleasant hike. Sometimes it's a climb. And we go through our valleys. Now, we tend to thank God more for the mountaintop experiences, don't we? Those milestones that we love to celebrate and remember, those spiritual highs and victories that we experience. But how quickly we can forget those mountaintop moments when we find ourselves down in the valley, can't we? And we're going through those tough times. And and, and the reverse is true. Sometimes we're on those mountaintops and we're having a great moment and we think all is well and everything is great and how could life get better than this? And we tend to forget that there's going to be another valley. When you go up the mountain, you're going to have to go back down into the valley. And if you think about it, mountains and valleys need each other, don't they? You can't really have a mountain without a valley. You can't have a valley without a mountain. Without mountains and valleys, you just get Kansas. I'm sorry, Shelly, but it's a boring state to drive through. I mean, it it puts you to sleep in a heartbeat. 
We need mountains and we need valleys. And if you think about it as well, the spiritual mountaintop moments of our life is not where we grow in our faith, is it? That's not where our faith is tested. That's not where our faith is strengthened. It's the valleys. It's those difficult times of life where you have to depend on God's hand, where you have to rely on His grace to get you through. That's where we grow. That's where we find ourselves walking closer to God. It's through those times of struggle. But on the other hand, mountains are great. Mountains give us a broader vision of God's plan. Mountains help us to see and and realize all of the the good gifts that God gives us. It gives us uh, an opportunity to catch sight of where God might be leading us, and it gives us an opportunity to celebrate His goodness and proclaim the gospel to other people. We go and we tell it on the mountain, right? We proclaim the good news. We like the mountaintops better. I love the mountains. I grew up in the mountains. Mountains are great. Give me a view any day. I mean, I just, I love it. You get up there, you can see for forever. It's wonderful. We love mountaintop experiences. And few people ever want to get to go down through the tough valleys of life where it's dark, where it's difficult, where you don't know what's around the next bend. We love mountains, but not so much the valleys. But the Bible tells us that God is the Lord of the mountains and the valleys. He's God in both places. It's the valleys that shape us, that chip away at self-reliance and self-righteousness and pride. It's where the character of Christ is formed within us. We need those valleys. Look back with me at verse 10. For the land you are entering to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated by hand. In Egypt, they had to rely on irrigation. They had to develop techniques to be able to capture and harness water and move it where it needed to be because in Egypt it only rained once or twice a year. In fact, the only way they could have any agriculture along the Nile was to rely on the annual flooding of the Nile. It would flood its banks and it would deposit all that water and all that rich silt on the banks. That's the only way they could have agriculture in Egypt. Fruitlessness came by artificial means in Egypt, by human sweat and toil. And I found that usually when we find ourselves relying on our hard work, on our ingenuity, you know we can sometimes begin to develop an attitude that says, I got this. I can do this by myself. I mean, we we revert to being three. I can do this by myself. I don't need God. I've got this. And that never works out well for us. Where does all that man-made ingenuity and initiative get us? Often more suffering. But in Canaan, the land drinks the water from the rain of heaven. God provides the rain there. It's not about human ingenuity. It's not about how hard we work. We totally depend upon the gift of God, His grace, His rain that comes down upon us. And look at what he says in verse 14. He says, I will provide rain for your land in the proper time. The autumn and the spring rains, and you will harvest your grain new wine, and fresh oil. Maybe that's why God chose this land for His people to possess. It's a land where they would get to depend on Him. It's a land in which He could give them His blessings in the spring, in the autumn, every day. And as we cross into a new year, we can trust that the same God who sent the autumn rains of yesterday is going to send the spring rains of tomorrow. He's going to be just as faithful tomorrow as He was yesterday. And when we find that our life is filled with hills and with valleys, 
We have the reign of heaven to help us through both, through the good times and the bad, the seasons of plenty and of want. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns us against storing up treasures on earth. Because when we store up our treasures on earth, it's like being in Egypt. It's like all that human work, all that ingenuity. It's all about us. And guess what? It's transitory. Easy come, easy go. And everything that we store up on this earth can be lost, it can be stolen, it can be destroyed, and eventually someday it's no longer going to be ours. Plus, wherever we store our treasure, Jesus said that's where our heart is. That's where our focus and our priorities are. So Jesus said, store your treasures in heaven where nobody can steal it, where it will never be destroyed, where our heart's priority and focus can be on Jesus. Now later in that same sermon, just a few verses later, Jesus goes on to say, He says, Don't worry, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Whatever your need, trust God to provide for you your daily bread. Seek Him. Seek His kingdom and righteousness. He will make sure you've got the things that you need. We can trust in God's provision. But secondly, we can also rest in God's presence. Look with me what he goes on to say in verse 12. He's been talking about the land that you're going to possess. It's a land of mountains and valleys, watered by rain from the sky. And he goes on to say, it's a land the Lord your God cares for. He cares for it. He's always watching over it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. It's a land that God cares for, that He watches over. You know, Israel, this wasn't the first time they found themselves on the banks of the Jordan about to go into the Promised Land. They had come to the border of Canaan once before, 40 years before. And they sent spies into the land to spy it out and see what kind of land is it. And they came back and they said, it is a land of milk and honey. It is a land of great opportunity. There's, there's, there's all sorts of lush fields. Look at these grapes that we brought. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful place. But there are big cities. There are giants. They've got better technology than we do. They, they could take us easily. We, we can't do it. We need to go back to Egypt. They doubted God's provision. They failed to trust the Lord who provided them through the plagues of Egypt, through the parting of the Red Sea, through all of their time on this journey, they thought that God who provided them manna in the wilderness somehow all of a sudden isn't capable of providing them with this land that He sent them there. That He said they were, He was going to give to them. They doubted His provision, but they also forgot about His presence. They forgot that He was the God who goes with them. Yes, there are four or five cities. Yes, there are strong armies. Yes, they've got military technology better than their own. Yes, there are giants there that will make them feel small and insignificant, but it was a land the Lord cared for. He watches over it day after day, year after year. It's the land of God's own choosing for them. The Bible says multiple times that, that Israel and Jerusalem is where God's eyes and where God's heart dwell forever. As we stand before a new year, you may be facing or anticipating some things that seem daunting. Walls you can't imagine having to scale. Giant problems that make you feel small and insignificant. 
obstacles that you have no idea how you're going to overcome them. Remember that every moment of your life is a moment of God's own choosing. And He cares for it. And He's watching over your life from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. God will care for you in 2024 just as He cared for you in 2023, just as He cares for you every year and every day and every minute of your life. He has a plan and a purpose for you in 2024. He knows the ins and the outs of the year that's going to come so you can trust Him to guide and direct your steps. As the song says, God's eye is on the sparrow so you know that He watches over you. You know, at Christmas we focus on Jesus being Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. He's the God who is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not going to forget about you. So as you cross into this new year, no, you don't cross over alone. God is with you. And you can rest in His presence. The same good shepherd who leads and feeds his flock so that they do not want is the same good shepherd who gives them green pastures to lay down in. He's the God who wants to give you rest. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians 4, he said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can rest in His presence no matter what you face. And He will give you a peace that doesn't make any sense to to people who aren't believers. It passes all understanding, but it's a peace that will guard your heart and your mind no matter what you face. Or as Jesus said in Matthew 11, He said, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened. I know some of us are weary. I know some of us have some burdens that we're bearing. Jesus says, Come to Me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I pray that in 2024 you will find rest from your worry, from your fear. And that whatever your needs, whatever the burdens you bear, I hope that you'll take them to Jesus in prayer and leave them with Him and find that peace of God that passes understanding and find rest for your soul. We can rest in God's presence as He goes with us into this new year. And third, so we we trust in His provision, we rest in His presence, but then we have to believe in God's promise and embrace our purpose. Believe in God's promise and embrace our purpose. Look at verse 13. If you carefully obey my commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and worship Him with all your heart and with all your soul, I will provide rain for your land in the proper time, the autumn and spring rains, and you will harvest your grain, new wine and fresh oil. I will provide grass in your fields for your livestock. You will eat and be satisfied. Be careful that you're not enticed to turn aside, serve and bow and worship to other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut the sky, and there will be no rain. The land will not yield its produce, and you will perish quickly from the good land the Lord is giving you. And we know from reading the rest of the Old Testament, that's exactly what happens. They do. They turn against God. They worship other idols. They treat each other unjustly. They turn to all sorts of wickedness. And God is true to His Word. But when they return to Him, when they repent, God restores them. Now, 
The most important thing we can do as we cross over into this new year is found right there in verse 13. It's to love the Lord your God and worship Him with all your heart and soul. That's the most important thing you can do next year, the next hour, and the next day, is to worship the Lord our God and to serve Him with all of our heart and soul. Now, the promise that He gives, as I said, to provide rain, to provide grass, to provide uh, food for them to eat and be satisfied, is a conditional promise. Notice verse 13 starts with the word if. It's an if-then statement. If Israel earnestly obeys God's command to love and serve Him wholeheartedly, then God will bless the land with rain, with fruitfulness. They'll have plenty to eat. The promise of God's provision and presence that we've just talked about is not an unconditional promise. It's not. And it's not for everyone. Pastor, then who's it for? What's the condition? He tells us right there. It's for those who love the Lord their God and worship and serve Him with all their heart and soul. It's for His children. It's for His people. That's the condition. The condition is that you have a surrendered life, that you are in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. When we have a relationship with God by His grace through faith, then we have His provision. We have His presence. We have His promises. It's a promise for God's children that when we have a saving relationship with Him and we surrender our lives to Him, God gives us the desire. He gives us the hunger and the thirst to want to obey Him. If you're a Christian, you should want to serve the Lord. You should want to be in church. You should want to do what God would have you to do. You should want to help those in need. Those are things that should be coming from you. Do we do it all the time? No. Do we get it right every time? No. But we want to. We long to. We desire to. We strive to. We're not sinless. As Christians, we're going to stumble. We're going to fail. We, As Christians, we draw closer to the cross of Jesus day by day. We don't draw further away from it. We rely more and more on God's grace. We need His grace every day because this side of heaven, none of us are going to be perfect. But our heart's intent, our prayer, our goal is to love and obey the Lord with all our being. And when we do fail, when we do sin, we experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We confess, we own up to our sins before God. We ask for His forgiveness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, He makes us a little bit more like Jesus. Day by day. Now, not only is this a promise of God's provision and presence for His people... It's also our purpose. That's why I've got in one point here, we believe in God's promise and embrace our purpose because they're one and the same. Jesus calls it the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That's our purpose. It's the reason that we exist. Imagine with me for just a moment what God could do with your life if you fully surrendered it to Jesus? What kind of difference would that make in your home? What kind of impact would it have on your spouse, on your children, or boys and girls, on your parents? 
What kind of impact would that make on your siblings if you fully surrendered your life this next year to Jesus Christ? If you lived every day in the confidence of God's powerful presence with you, could you imagine the peace and the joy of resting in His presence and trusting in His provision every day? Not chasing after the things as the pagans do, but seeking first His kingdom and righteousness. What difference would that make? Imagine what God could do with a church fully surrendered to Him in 2024. If we truly love God supremely with all that we have and all that we are, if we really did serve God and we served our brothers and sisters in the church and we served this community and we reached out to them with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ and we did all of this out of a burden of love, can you imagine what God could do through this church? I'll tell you what, this sanctuary would be filled every Sunday. The waters of this baptistry would be stirred every Sunday. We'd see marriages put back together. We'd see wounds healed. We'd see, we'd see uh, hatchets buried. We'd see relationships restored. We'd see addictions broken. We'd see heaven rejoicing every day. That's my prayer for us for 2024, is that we would be people and a church fully surrendered to Jesus. That it's not about what I want, it's not about my preferences. It's not about you know what somebody can do for me. It's all about Him. It's all about what I can do for Him. It's all about the praise that I can give to His name. It's all about the good news of His grace I can share with others. I hope that you'll join me in praying that for our church every day because that's how revival comes. Will you do that? I hope you will. The reason we aren't winning the lost the reason we aren't making more disciples, the reason that we aren't giving more of our gifts and talents to God and His work, the reason people aren't faithful to their spouses, the reason people are failing to obey the Lord and aren't living lives of holiness is because we're not fully surrendered to Jesus. We're not really loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is that you today? This is what Moses is warning Israel about. It's what God is challenging us with today. Let us make living a surrendered life to Jesus our priority next year. If we do, then we will believe God's promise and we will embrace His purpose. And if we do that, and if we're trusting in His provision and we're resting in His presence, then we're going to find this final thing is true, and that is we're going to enjoy God's protection. Look at verse 18. Imprint these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Bind them as a sign on your hands. Let them be a symbol on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates so that as long as the heavens are above the earth, your days and those of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. For if you carefully observe every one of these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, walk in His ways, and remain faithful to Him, the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. And you will drive out nations greater and stronger than you are. Every place the sole of your foot treads will be yours. Your territory will extend from the wilderness to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you the Lord your God will put fear and dread of you in all the land where you set foot 
as He has promised you. God promises His protection for Israel against their enemies. God promises to drive the nations out before them as they possess the land. What enemies are you facing as you enter into 2024? I'd say a lot of them, you won't know till they pop up. We don't know what enemies we're going to face next year, but we do know some of them. We know the enemy. We know that there is the devil who stands against God and his people, whose spiritual forces of evil are at work in this world, and we know that he's going to try to tempt us and discourage us and deceive us. We have the enemy. But then there are also enemies of our own making, right? The works of the flesh our own bad habits, the wounds we refuse to let God heal, the grudges that we bear, our own lack of self-control. We have, sometimes we are our worst enemy. We have the enemies of maybe financial problems or health issues that we're going to face. And then, of course, there's just people who, I know it may be shocking to hear, don't like you. People who work against you. People who can't forgive you. And people that you have a hard time forgiving. We're going to face enemies and obstacles in 2024. The lost world goes into this differently than, than the way we should. And oftentimes we kind of follow their, their example. The lost world makes resolutions, right? New Year's resolutions. They, they want to lose weight. They want to get more sleep. They want to spend more time with family. They want to cut out carbs. You know, they, they want to go work out at the gym and get buffed. They, they want to spend less screen time. They want to read more. They set these resolutions, which is all about behavior modification. It's all done in their own strength. It's self-help. It's like Egyptians digging their own irrigation canals and planting and watering their gardens by hand. It's about what they can do. But for Christians, we understand that it's a spiritual battle that we wage. We don't want to just modify our behavior. We want to change our hearts. We want to refocus our priorities. We want to surrender our lives to Jesus to love and obey Him fully. We need to do far more than just make resolutions. We need to trust in God's provision, rest in His presence, believe in His promises, embrace His purpose for our lives, and enjoy His protection. Don't just make resolutions this year. Give your life fully to the Lord. What's he say? He says to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and remain faithful to Him. That should be our focus. That should be our prayer. To overcome the works of the flesh, to resist temptation, to become more like Jesus, to be the husbands and wives and parents and friends and Christians God wants us to be. We have to understand that God goes with us. He goes ahead of us. He fights for us. If we will trust Him, if we will surrender to Him, He will drive these enemies out from before us. And notice how God does this. How we can enjoy His protection in 2024. Two quick things here. First, He tells us, be immersed in His Word. Be immersed in God's Word. This is really a restatement of what I read every time we do a parent-child dedication in Deuteronomy 6. We, he says to impress God's Word on your heart. He talks about you know, writing them, you know, putting them on back of your hands, your forehead, on, on your city gates, on the doors of your house, on your walls. We are to impress God's Word on our heart and we are to immerse our children and our families in Scripture. 
If we want God to drive our enemies out ahead of us, if we want every place where the sole of our foot treads to be ours, we need to be in the Word of God and let the Word of God get in us, in our heart and in our mind. Did you know that if you just read the Bible 15 minutes a day, you could read through the whole Bible in a year? Just 15 minutes a day. It's a small investment of time, but it will pay huge dividends in your lives. And listen, we have no excuse. It's like I have no excuse to not be healthier than I am. Listen, I can step out of the door of my office and be on an indoor walking track. Climate controlled. I have no excuse. There's a Nautilus room and a weight room and a Mike Lloyd right downstairs that I can be using every day. And I don't. Listen, brothers and sisters, we have no excuse. We've got more Bibles and Bible studies and devotion books and websites and videos and apps than anyone in human history. The problem is not a lack of resources. It's a lack of desire. It's a lack of commitment. We need to pray for a renewed hunger and thirst for the Word of God. Listen, I want to encourage you this year, find a devotional book. Find a Bible study. Find a reading plan. Make, make, make it something simple, something easy, something you'll stick to. The more complicated you make it, the less likely you'll stick to it, right? And then just do it. Don't, don't try to tackle the whole Bible, maybe. Say, I'm going to read through the New Testament this year. I'm going to read a proverb and a psalm every day this year. I'm going to use my Sunday school quarterly and study my Sunday school lesson throughout the week. Whatever it is, just do it. Get God's Word into your head and into your heart. That's my challenge for you. And then share it with your family. There's a reason the Bible is called the sword of the Spirit. It's how Jesus defeated the devil when He tempted him in the wilderness. It's how we take every thought captive to Christ. It's what David says in Psalm 1911. Well, 1911, he says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Be immersed in God's word, but then secondly, be obedient to God's word. It's not just enough to be hearers of God's word. We must be doers of it, right? That's what James says. James says, listen, you can listen to and read the Bible all you want. If you don't do what it says, you're fooling yourself. Look what verse 22 says. For if you carefully observe every one of these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and remain faithful to Him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. Maybe today you feel like you've been living outside the provision of God. Maybe you said, David, I really haven't felt God's presence this year in my life. Maybe you don't believe that God's been there to protect you. Then maybe today is a day of self-examination for you. Are you being obedient to God's Word? Are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you striving to walk in His ways and remain faithful to Him? Psalm 139, 23, and 24 is a wonderful couple of verses that I encourage you to to write in the front of your Bible or put on your bathroom mirror or at your desk or in your car someplace. It is a wonderful passage to help us examine ourselves. And maybe that's what some of us need to do on this New Year's Eve. It says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. 
See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a prayer to say, God, search me. Search me out. What in my life, what concern am I carrying around that I need to trust you with? What sin is in my life that I need you to correct me in so that I can walk in the right path? That should be our prayer. To know if we're carefully keeping His Word and walking in His ways and loving Him with all of our heart. Listen, we can set all the goals and make all the New Year's resolutions that we want and guess what? This time next year, be right back where we are today. I've been there. Have you been there? We have all these lofty goals and ideas and you get to February and you've already forgotten about them. But if we go into this year wearing the armor of God, bearing the sword of the Spirit, advancing in our knees in prayer, then I believe every place where the foot or the sole of our foot treads will be ours. But it's all about trusting in Him. It's all about resting in Him. It's all about believing and embracing His promise and His purpose. That's the key. God is with you. God loves you. God has a purpose for you tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. We cross into this new year with His promise of provision and presence and protection. Let us hold fast. Let us love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's serve others out of love. Let's walk in God's ways guided by prayer with our hearts and minds steeped in God's Word, holding fast to the Lord, and let's see what amazing things God has in store for us next year. Amen? I learned this past week that Koreans have a curious New Year's custom. If they want to forget some unpleasant things in their life and make a fresh start, if they've got some some bad habits they want to eliminate, some past deeds they want forgiven, then they will write those things down on a kite. And they will send that kite soaring up into the sky. And when it gets almost out of sight, they cut the string. And they let the wind carry the kite away. And it's as if all of those bad habits and all of those sins of the past, all that's just gone. The Bible has a similar analogy for us. That when we confess our sins to God, and when we hand them over to Him in prayer for forgiveness, it says that He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why we have Christmas. Jesus was born so that He could save His people from their sins. He wants you to know His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy, but you have to give Him your heart. You have to surrender your life to Him as Lord. And if you do, you can leave your sins behind in 2023. You don't have to carry them into the new year. In fact, you can go into the new year as a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Do you need to do that today? Maybe you do. Maybe you're here or you're listening and you know in your heart you've never given your heart to Jesus. You've never given your life to Him. You've never confessed your sins and trusted in Him for forgiveness. I invite you to do that today. And you can begin this new year as a new person with a new heart with a fresh start. If you want some help in knowing how to do that, how to pray that, I would love nothing more than to help you do that this morning, either down here or after the service. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as I said before, we're not perfect, are we? Maybe you've got some sins that you would like to leave behind in 2023. Maybe you've got some grudges you've been bearing that you want to bury 
You want to leave them behind and go into this new year restored to somebody. Maybe God's been working in your life and calling you to ministry, to service in some way, and you've been resistant. Let's, we've heard the Word of God. Let's be careful to observe what it says. Whatever the Lord is speaking to your heart, let's respond now and in the moments after. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for this year, for the ups and the downs, because even in the downs, we know that you are faithful and you are with us. It's those times of struggle and difficulty. It's those dark valleys that often help us to see your hand the clearest. God, forgive us for those times that we have allowed the things of this world to distract us and to divide us. Lord, forgive us for when we have let other things take priority in our life over you. God, help us to leave all of that behind. God, carry it away on the wind. Bury it in the depths of the sea. And help us to go into this new year, Lord, closer to you, hungry for you, committed to surrendering our lives to you, to see what you can do through us. In Jesus' name we pray.